Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. This is episode 20. Well done to me. And we're going to talk about the endocannabinoid system. But first, let's give an announcement for our glass giveaway winner, Leah Ventura. She was the lucky random number generated and matched to the list that I made. So she won. Well done to you. Uh, I should be getting that pipe in the mail. I don't know, probably not today. God, today got really busy on me. I have so much going on. I got singing lessons after this I got to get to, and I love my singing lessons. But first, we're going to start with some stoner moments where I just kind of touch back on previous episodes that I've done. And I just want to say that the last episode, uh, thanks for letting me get it out there. And I wasn't totally sure if I should do it, but at the same time, I'm like, fuck it, it's my podcast, right? So... I just want to kind of clarify that that episode was really about me coping with something that I've known pretty much since the first three months of working in a dispensary and really getting a better understanding of medical cannabis, which is that if I get better, I'm probably going to be smoking less weed. I'm just going to have to smoke less weed. I'm going to I'm not going to need to smoke as much weed and that's a huge change of identity for me and it's really frightening and it's really beginning to happen. I'm seeing a lot of new growth within me spiritually and physically and mentally and and I'm just not ready to give it up yet. Oh my goodness. Uh but that's okay. I'm far from fully healed, so I just kind of changed my role and and reassess where I was going with it. And I wanted to remind other people that that might need to be something they also do. So thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Now let's move on to the endocannabinoid system. Talking about me getting better, the endocannabinoid system is one of the ways in which I've been able to heal myself with medical cannabis. So what is it? Well, the endocannabinoid system, or the ECS, which it may be transcribed or shortened to, is a physiological system discovered in 1988 by the Department of Pharmacology at St. Louis University Medical School. Uh, now, the medical school had this program. They were also involved with Pfizer, which is big pharma, and they they touch in on this story a couple times again. But I'm going to hold my big pharma spiel for another time. Uh, they've got good and bad things going on with them. They're not the enemy, but they certainly haven't been pulling their power as well. Oh, no, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. So when I talk about a physiological system, now physiological means that it, it controls and interplays with pretty much everything pertaining to our normal functioning. All of these systems working together, our biochemistry, our central nervous system, the way that hormones get released, uh, that's all physiological responses. Uh, they are controlled by these things called ligands, uh, which are like little keys that turn things on and off in our neuroreceptors. Sometimes they're also called neurotransmitters. So... They began to study uh, the, the endocannabinoid system. Really what they were studying was cannabis, and they were trying to study how it affected the central nervous system. And they found that cannabinoids, they knew THC, 
but CBD and CBG are also noted within the study. Um, there was some observation, but they didn't really care because they knew that those weren't the quote-unquote active cannabinoids. So they followed the THC, which led them to some opioid receptors. And they discovered, hey, you know what? Cannabis and cannabinoids actually tap into the same receptors as opioids. And they were pretty excited about this because uh, it it showed that cannabis does affect the brain. um, There's a huge ton of receptors in the brain that they discovered. Uh, and, And it also pointed to a potential for abuse, which is really what the study was funded for anyway. And instead, they found a whole completely different set of receptors with which the brain is completely covered that cannabinoids specifically were able to interplay with. And in doing so, they showed that cannabinoids were able to tap into the central nervous system's analgesic, that is, pain-relieving abilities, which is what they were pretty much going for. What they weren't ready for was when in 1990, cloning of the receptors enabled greater exploration into just how this worked. And and they found that, uh, as Martin A. Lee puts it, because he, he put it so well, I just kind of copied and pasted it. There's no need to paraphrase it. Quote, just as the study of opium resulted in the discovery of endorphins, the brain's own morphine-like substance, so too marijuana research would lead to the discovery of a natural internal THC-like compound, our inner cannabis, so to speak, end quote. Uh, and, and so we discovered that we have our own cannabinoids within ourselves, uh, that we have this chemistry that is kind of like the same thing that THC is. In the same way that endorphins are kind of like our own type of morphine. And in 1992, the very first endocannabinoids were shared with the world. Uh, The CB2 receptor, uh, the first receptor that was found would later become CB1 cannabinoid receptor. And they discovered another one in 1995 that they labeled CB2 or cannabinoid receptor 2. Uh, There have been more receptors that interact with cannabinoids that have been discovered since, but they've been given much more scientific names, much more uh, biological and anatomically correct names. Uh, So, or I should say chemistry-related names. Um, But the, the interesting part is that this cannabinoid system which was discovered and really kind of hit the scientific world in a very niche place uh, in the, the, uh, those who focused on brain chemistry. Uh, It it really didn't go further out than that, even though we discovered this entire new system within the body, the scientific and specifically the medical professions really just kind of ignored it. However, patients didn't. And one year later, Prop 215 in California would grant medical access to a huge variety of people. So what are the differences in cannabinoids? Because we have cannabinoids in our body, we have cannabinoids in cannabis, and then we have cannabinoids in pharmaceuticals. Now, cannabinoids are all named after the cannabis plant, 
where they were first discovered. And so the cannabinoids that are found within ourselves kind of fall back on on that origin, uh, but they're called endogenous cannabinoids or endocannabinoids, endo meaning within, inside. And so those are cannabinoid-like structures that interplay with cannabinoid receptors or endocannabinoid receptors uh, that are in our central nervous system, all in our brain, along our nerves. They line our organs, uh, our vital organs, uh, such as our skin, our spleen, our liver, our gallbladder, things like that. I'm pretty sure the gallbladder is there. I'd have to double check that one, though. And our body releases them as a way to create balance within our own body. Now, the cannabinoids that are in the cannabis plant are called phytocannabinoids, phyto referring to the plant uh, kingdom. And uh, the ones that are developed for, for pharmaceuticals specifically are known as synthetic cannabinoids, which are completely created within a lab. And they were created to have a structure that can plug into those cannabinoid receptors. That's where you get your marinol at 100% THC that doesn't really seem to do anything, which led us to understand or better understand the significance of terpenes. But if you want to know more about that, you can refer to the Indica uh, Sativa Part 1, and then I know I want to do another podcast on terpenes specifically, but that's going to be a different time. Uh, So the way that it's discussed, these different cannabinoids, is that they're all mimetic. They all kind of plug into the same keyhole is a common analogy. Uh, They're all kind of master keys. And and it's just uh, the origin that they come from that really separates them along with, and this is really important, small nuances in their chemical structures. And so exactly the way that they fit in unlocks different things. Just because they fit into the same keyhole doesn't mean that they open into the same room. Uh, But those different different, uh, neurotransmitters are the ligands. Those are the, the different things that send messages. So these cannabinoids act as neurotransmitters on all different levels, but again, opening up into different rooms. And we're still trying to understand what leads into these different rooms. And when we open up into one room, why is it not opening up into the room we thought it might open up into? And it's doing cannabinoids in the endocannabinoid system can be a little confusing at times and completely eye-opening and enlightening to the way that the body just does not work the way science has really thought it does. And one of the biggest clues to this phenomenon wasn't just the discovery of a a complete system that tapped into, uh, or that was tapped into by this this plant, uh, but it was actually when they discovered that cannabis can activate retrograde signaling, uh, which is apparently in the scientific community kind of a pretty big deal, uh, if you want to go about it that way. It's the ability of cells and synapses to talk back and forth to one another, uh, which isn't something scientists once thought we did outside of being a fetus in vitro. 
that was really the only place that they had actively witnessed retrograde signaling happening. And what they found out was that cannabinoids, uh, whether endogenous or phyto or synthetic, acted in a way that allowed the body to talk back and forth amongst itself, that allowed cells to talk back and forth with the central nervous system, that uh, uh, just allowed the body to communicate in ways that doctors didn't really think we did. Uh, Now, endocannabinoids, uh, I mentioned in vitro, and that is one place that we had discovered uh, another collection, a huge influence, I should say, of uh, cannabinoid receptors working. We knew that they were all over the brain and that um, basically they could could reach all kinds of different parts of the way that our central nervous system was influenced. But they also discovered that endocannabinoids uh, are a huge factor in the attachment of fertilized eggs to the uterine lining for embryos. And they also discovered that endocannabinoids are very present in breast milk uh, in order to do things like encourage feeding and sleepiness, uh, amongst probably other things. Uh, and that ended up all leading to the discovery that cannabinoids are responsible for healing, uh, for a, a level of homeostasis within our body. Now, homeostasis is a fancy way of saying balance. If you've ever seen the movie Biodome, uh, which if you haven't, you should, whether you like Polly Shore or not, or, or the Baldwin, it's one of the greatest movies ever. Mahi, mahi. And homeostasis achieved. All right, moving on. Homeostasis is uh, the ability to be in sync in all of those normal everyday functions that are going on within our body that allow us to to breathe and to keep our heart beating and to digest food and to process thoughts and to uh, process things in happy ways instead of sad ways or to feel pain or not to feel pain. All of these things interplay with the endocannabinoid system and the use of cannabis actually helps our body be in a more stabilized state did i just blow your fucking mind because when i found out about that i was like we found the fountain of youth bitches i mean i'm not trying to oversell this or anything i'm just saying that ponce de leon is turning over in his grave right now that's how excited I was. Endocannabinoids, phytocannabinoids, synthetic cannabinoids, and their receptor structures regulate and modulate almost everything. They can tell our immune system to turn off or to turn on, uh, helping autoimmune diseases simmer down. They can reorganize cellular structure to no longer recognize cancerous cells as okay to hang out, but as the the alien beings that they actually are, and and then turn it around for them to self-destruct. They can modulate nervous system functionality to not be overstimulated or understimulated. Uh, They work with several other known and probably unknown systems in order to do these things. And so 
So it's the early stages still of learning how to tap into the system to really manipulate our bodies in the best way. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence. Science is definitely working on some big things, um, but it's so big and so complicated that there's going to be issues along the way, and there's going to be a lot of misunderstandings along the way. Uh, So no matter what the science says, be true to you. Be true to you. And if you're using cannabis in a way that helps you feel better, Uh, and you can't explain it, wait for the science to catch up. Wait for the science to catch up. It'll get there. Science, I believe in you. But uh, it's not quite there yet. It is still teaching us a lot of amazing things, though. So I'm not not trying to knock it. It's got a huge task. And, And like I said, these receptors are located everywhere. They're in our brain. They're in our vital organs. And, and the key to understanding how and when to target those areas It's a huge undertaking. I can't wait. I can't wait to find out more. All right. So one of the things that becomes really complicated when you're trying to understand medical cannabis is CBD and THC and all the various cannabinoids and when they actually respond to certain receptors and are these receptors located in this part of the body and is smoking it better for you or eating it better for you? And... Right now, it's just it's just not a good enough understanding of the different nuances that come in. There are some things that we can absolutely kind of touch on, uh, and there are some things that that seem to uh, to make sense. But there are a lot of things that also seem contrary to what what might actually logically be a hypothesis. Uh, You know, we're still discovering why THC and CBD affect some receptors and not others. Uh, Affinity is is what it's called, that uh, magnetic attraction uh, of the CBD and THC as keys to those receptor keyholes. It, It doesn't always make sense, especially with CBD. Sometimes it seems to affect things the way we expect it to. And then when we apply it to other areas, it just doesn't seem to catch on. And this might be because of all the other various ligands that we're not aware of uh, and and the way that terpenes uh, potentially affect the affinity of uh, those receptor sites. It's it's coming along. I can't wait to be able to tell you more, but I just don't know enough based on what I've read to be able to tell you anything else. Um, but that when, that that's when playing with it comes in. Let's just turn to some anecdotal evidence for now. CBD works best along the nervous system as a neuroprotectant. It seems to regulate nervous uh, structure and it has a great affinity for the receptor sites along the central nervous system and in the brain uh, and, and just helping those functions move much more smoothly. Whereas THC seems to exaggerate the effects of terpenes uh, or essential oils and can act as neurodepressants or neurostimulants. Also, because of this healing that is happening with the endocannabinoid system. Uh, now, now, anytime you're healing, this system is in play. It's before your immune system. It regulates your immune system. So think of it as an immune system for your immune system. 
So when you're healing, there's a lot of different things going on. And THC is going to tap into a lot of those feelings. One of the most uh, important and ubiquitous would be the feeling of sleepiness. When we're healing, we need to sleep. And some people are very responsive to uh, to that call. Um, perhaps their body becomes flooded with ligands that tap into those receptors and are trying to tell you to sleep. I know I had a very powerful call to nap time over the weekend uh, and because my body really needed the rest. And if you're flooding your body with healing signals, your body's going, oh, crap, guys, we got to rest. We got some work to do. Uh Other things that are healing side effects are itchiness. And THC can absolutely turn up the itchiness on things like nervous pain specifically. Um, People who suffer from MS or fibro or uh, pinched nerves, they may find when they take THC, either smoking it, eating it, or even using it topically, that THC can actually irritate that pain. Um, I have a lot of friends that I've tried to to help with their pain, and they tell me that they can't take the THC because it, it makes it worse for them. And it isn't so much that the pain is worse. It's that it's like an itchy scab that doesn't go away. And that's the exact opposite of what they're looking for. But what that THC is still signaling is that it's doing some healing. Uh, using a CBD to modulate your nervous system and get rid of that itchiness can be a really great way to to get rid of the pain and do the healing. Um, But sometimes you just got to wait for that scab to come off. And there isn't enough understanding specifically about that kind of itchy pain uh, feeling that we really understand. Is it healing enough? Is it actually doing something? And I don't know enough people who have really persevered through it to tell me if uh, if it helps. It becomes kind of uh, the focus. They become a little OCD about it. And I can understand that. It's like a bug bite or anything else. It just won't stop. Uh, so if, if you find that it's making your pain even more focused, try adding CBD to it. Uh, but again, the terpenes and hormones heavily influence the way that these cannabinoids work in our system, the way uh, that our own hormones are released. If you use essential oils or any level, or if you've heard of aromatherapy, this is pretty much the same idea. And because the system is so pervasive throughout our body, uh, it can affect our entire body. And when hormones are released, they can affect all kinds of different parts of our body. So we're still learning how all of that plays together. Um, but the, there's been some really incredible uh, research into the endocannabinoids that we are producing, uh, specifically around pain. Again, because the opioid and analgesic effects were our first focus as kind of a um, a way to to peg it as a uh, a bad drug. Okay. Uh, we know a little bit more about its pain relieving properties, and I did come across a product called P-Pure, that's P-E-A as in 
the, uh, the vegetable, uh, and then pure. And what that apparently is, is a cross of naturally extracted fruit cannabinoids with some other cannabinoid that they label and don't say the origin or source of. Um, but apparently they mix them together and that creates the equivalent of an endogenous cannabinoid within our cells that specifically helps our pain signaling. And I will definitely have links on all the things that I use to compile my outline. And one of them is going to be a link for this P-Pure website. And another one is going to be a link, I think, for the NCBI study on the P-Pure and the the endocannabinoid that uh, it uh, is a nutraceutical for. And it's kind of amazing the reviews that the NCBI is giving this. Just really incredible pain relief stories. And, uh, and I don't think that I wrote down specifically what that endocannabinoid uh, was. It was a really big word that started with a P, uh, which is why P-Pure is kind of a really appropriate name. But most of the endocannabinoids are going to have crazy big names. Uh, one of the ones that I wrote down is anandamide. And I honestly don't know if I'm saying that right. It might be anandamide. Did I just say that the same way? Anan, anandamide? 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 Fuck it. They were a lot of really big scientific words that I'm not familiar with, and I would love to speak with some scientists or some people who are more familiar with the terms than me about them in order to gain a better understanding. Uh, but we're just kind of covering the basics for right now. So I feel pretty good with just dropping those ones for you specifically. Uh, we haven't found all of the uh, cannabinoid pairings uh, from the endocannabinoids to the phytocannabinoids, but anandamide seems to be the closest to THC specifically. It's known as the bliss uh, molecule. It was a scientist remarking on, on drug euphoria, I guess. Um, but it, it's close to THC, but again, these chemical structures have very little nuances that do really different things within our body. So it's not exactly THC. Um, but another thing that is really kind of sweeping the scientific community is this idea that there are people who have a, a superfluous amount of these endocannabinoids and these receptors, and there are people who don't. One of the studies that they did uh, very early on, and I'm sure one of the ways that they continue to study, is they breed what are known as knockout mice. Um, they are mice who have been bred without CB receptors, without the cannabinoid receptors. And what they found out was that these mice die very early. They do not get better from disease the way that mice who have cannabinoid receptors do, especially when treated with cannabinoids. And, uh, and chances are that people have the same issue. And people could have a deficiency of endocannabinoids, which phytocannabinoids could be supplementing as a nutraceutical itself. So again, these are just more and more proof that when people are self-medicating for cannabis, they're, they're doing themselves a lot of good, actually, and that uh, people's varying tolerances are going to be 
expected because of our uh, different abilities to create receptors and the way that these receptors respond when we flood our systems with phytocannabinoids versus endocannabinoids, which we still don't understand enough of. Uh, Otherwise, I'd love to tell you more about that. Well, we don't really know enough about this either. I do have a listener question that I want to address, which is, what are the differences between eating and inhaling cannabinoids? Uh, and and there are a few things that I can tell you from just kind of a, a logical standpoint or, or other things that I know about uh, uh, cannabis, but that's still a really big kind of open-ended question where we just don't have enough information. So a few of the differences, uh, and one of the most significant, is going to be the percentage of uptake of cannabinoids that you're going to get. Now, when you smoke it, you are getting it directly into the bloodstream and you get it to the brain before it reaches your liver and does what's called a first-pass metabolism. Now, when you eat it, you get that first pass metabolism before it actually hits your brain, which is one of the reasons why it's so much more encompassing of an experience. Uh, It's very, it's much bigger in the mind and the body than smoking usually is for most people. Uh, No, that's not going to be the same for everybody because of our own metabolisms because of the way that we personally absorb our nutrients and the differences in our diets, the, the difference uh, between uh, how we take it if we're eating it uh, with coconut oil or if we're eating it with glycerin, things like that are going to affect the way that we uptake it, which leads to one of the next differences, which are the metabolites that are produced. When you inhale cannabis, you're inhaling it and absorbing it directly into the bloodstream, allowing it to pass through the brain first and then into the liver. Whereas when you eat it, you're actually having it digested by your stomach, waiting it for it to go into the small intestine and then be absorbed by your body into the liver. That's its first pass metabolism, and then it goes into your bloodstream to hit the brain. And that's one of the reasons why the experience between smoking and eating are so different, is your brain is being tickled by two different cannabinoids. When THC is metabolized in the liver, it turns into a, like a THC-11. I'm just going to shorten it to. It's a, it's a different word, um, but it's a, it's a metabolite. It isn't the same thing as what you're smoking as far as those keyholes in your brain and the rest of your body uh, understand it to be. It's going to unlock a different room, even if it's just the room next door that's a little bit... Uh, more wonderland-like. CBD will act in the same way. CBD, when you eat it, is going to metabolize into something else first. And this is one of the reasons why I actually really enjoy eating CBD therapeutically much more than I, I, I find I enjoy it smoking it. Smoking it is good. It relaxes me. Um, it it can calm my mind down somewhat, but I just find so much more profound healing effects when I eat it. And there are two different metabolites that CBD can make. Uh, I didn't write them down. They're both big scientific words. 
Um, there's like an oleic something and then a something else that I can't remember. But clearly, I I seem to gravitate towards those metabolites instead of CBD straight to my, my dome uh, when I'm looking for medicine. I don't really know why yet because I can't match it up to receptor sites or necessarily uh, complete that whole puzzle. I've got one piece of the puzzle, but I do know that I like eating CBD more than I like smoking it. And that's a really big, that's like the outside border of this puzzle as far as I'm concerned. Now, one of the other differences uh, that I've kind of touched on is the location of antagonization by these cannabinoids for the receptors. So if I'm antagonizing the receptors in my brain first, and antagonizing um, being I'm I'm actually locking into those keyholes. Those ligands are matching in to uh, the receptors, and I'm utilizing some of those molecular structures for my own body chemistry. I'm going to use some of them up, all right? Uh, and, and the way that they get used is going to respond differently depending uh, if it's in my brain or if those cannabinoids maybe get into my liver specifically. And how they get to certain parts in my liver is something I didn't really have time to go into. Uh, hopefully, maybe one day I'll have some great information to give to you on how to specifically attack those receptor sites you need the most. Um, but for right now, we don't really have all of that information. At least not not in a way I can give it to you. Uh, but the way that they they get into your system and the way that they are metabolized through your system might also lead to some of the ways that they are either stored or excreted out of your system. Uh, so those are some of the nuances to think about and consider when you are experimenting with smoking cannabis versus inhaling cannabis or even using cannabis topically, of course. If uh, if you have a bruise, smoking cannabis isn't going to affect you the same way that using a lotion over the bruise site would. It's specifically targeting those receptor sites. And, uh, and this is a really big thing, too, I think I've mentioned before, uh, for cancer is actually targeting those those connections and getting that area to talk back and forth to itself and regulate itself is uh is one of the things that we really need to focus on doing but we just we don't we don't have it yet uh, i think the company i want to say their name is nuvalex is one of the places that was looking into this area specifically and i haven't touched base with where they're at in a while but i know that they were definitely focused in that area. And I learned a lot about how to attack specific ailments and symptoms uh, with cannabis just based on their research for cancer specifically. Now, with all of this incredible information, cancer fighting, central nervous system regulating, an immune system for your immune system, uh, their bone growth and and uh, density is regulated by these things. All of these incredible things for your body. You would think that doctors begin here that at least the endocannabinoid system is going to get a mention in medical journals, in, in textbooks, that there will be some sort of lectures 
where doctors can understand this incredible new system in the same way that we found that lymphatic connection uh, in our brain that blew up. That was huge. You would think that the endocannabinoid system would be really important in medical schools. And according to Cannabis Digest survey of 157 accredited medical schools, they found that only 13% have even a single mention about the endocannabinoid system. It is revolting. It is willfully ignorant of this information that is out there and the fact that our doctors need to know it. Now, while this survey is a few years old, uh, it's the only one of its kind that I found. Uh, and and, and it, it still it just blows my mind. And they're not even talking about teaching it. I think one, one school even actually had anything even close to in-depth, and it was a specialty lecture. Uh, but that 13%, even if they just mention it once anywhere in their curriculum, it's accounted for in that 13% out of 157 schools. And the truth is, until schools start teaching it, our doctors aren't going to understand it. And so how are patients supposed to be able to trust their doctors in their healing process when the medical profession as a whole has pretty much turned its back on the body's own healing system? It's a... It's a disturbing lack of faith. Disturbing lack of faith. Can you hear Darth Vader? Because I can hear Darth Vader. I know I didn't say it that way, but I can still hear Darth Vader. Anyway, you guys, that's going to be it for me today. I have to get going to my singing class. I can't wait. No safety this week. I had to keep it short. But thanks for hanging out with me, guys. Again, congratulations to Leah for being our glass giveaway winner. And thank you to the amazing Ethan Lush for donating the pipe. I'm going to send some hemp wick along with it and some bubble wrap because I didn't get the dime bag like I had wanted to. I'm lazy. But I'm not going to negative self-talk right now. I'm just going to move on through. I don't know what I got coming up for you next time, but I know it's going to be good. And if you enjoyed this, maybe you can tell a friend or maybe send me a line, email me, let me know that you enjoyed it. Or if you have any questions, I'd love to hear them. You can email me at thespliffpodcast at gmail.com. I'm on social media on a bunch of places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Mass Roots. Uh, all of those are either at the Spliff Podcast or just at Spliff Podcast. That's Spliff with two F's and Podcast with a T. You heard that right. You can go ahead and call me at 209-86-SPLIFF. Leave me a message. Drop me a line. Uh, I think you can text that number too. Uh, Nobody's texted me yet though, so eh, I still don't know. Maybe I'll text myself. I text myself notes all the time. It's kind of fun. It's a good way to remember things. Uh, You know, when you're lazy. Hope you guys had fun spliffing it. If you'd like to check out other podcasts, you can do so anywhere that you find them, or you can go to the spliffpodcast.com slash podcast. Again, this is episode 20, so I got some others for you. If uh, you found some terms that you didn't quite understand, maybe I have a different podcast on the subject. If I don't, maybe you could drop me a line and be like, hey, you talked about this but I don't know what you're talking about. Then I know that I need a podcast about it. Yeah, that'd be great. 
I love that kind of stuff. I mean, it's wheat, so like it sells itself. It's an endless supply of of inspiring topics. My sister asked me, she's like, aren't you ever worried that you're going to run out of topics? And I was like, yeah. But then I remember like 15 other topics that I can talk about. And the worry goes away. All right, guys, that's enough of me talking. I got to get going. I just like hanging out with you, though. It's fun. Thanks for spliffing it. Ciao for now.